The book of Acts, chapter number four. If you found it, say praise the Lord. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, I'm in verse 13 and 14. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your people. God, I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus that you would have your way here tonight as we open your word. I pray you confirm it with signs following, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. That's right. Give the Lord a good hand clap. That's all right. Our lessons on the book of Acts have been intermittent, as you can tell, due to uh, guest speakers. And I did the series on the mission of the church, three lessons on the mission of the church. Tonight, I want to get back to the book of Acts uh, for a moment. And I want to talk to you for a, a few minutes tonight on keys to apostolic demonstration. This will build on uh, the last lesson that we did on Acts a few weeks ago. The last two lessons that we did on the book of Acts uh, have been centered around the miracle that Jesus did, or that, I'm sorry, that the apostles did for the lame man that was at the gate of the temple. The scriptures that I used for text tonight are actually uh, the end of the lesson. That doesn't mean I'm done yet, but, uh, but, but they're going to be the very end of the lesson because what I want to do is I want to get into the Word and discover how it built up to this, uh, to this climax where they realized that God had done something that they could not deny. Lesson 14 of Acts for Apostolics, we're on 16, but lesson 14 began with this convergence of three people at the gate of the temple. It was Peter and John, Acts 3 and 1 says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. Peter and John going to the temple at the hour of prayer. When, when you uh, begin to study the Bible, there are certain characteristics of people that come out. Uh, David is known as a warrior. People talk about David. He's known to be a warrior. He's known to be a worshiper. Uh, when you talk about Elijah and Elisha, you talk about the miracles that God did through them. When you talk about Simon Peter, Simon Peter is very important because he is the one that uh, preached the message at Pentecost. And if you look in the Bible, Simon Peter is almost always surrounded by what they call gifts of power or demonstration. He's known for his boldness, miracles, signs, and wonders. He is usually at the center of anything that happens among the apostles when it deals with the supernatural. John the apostle is known as the disciple who Jesus loved. Uh, he is known for his writing and his teachings on love. If you read uh, the epistle of 1 John, uh, the epistle of 1 John is actually a message to the church that was specifically designed to help the church heal from a very difficult time in their history. Uh, I, back a few years ago, 
I was in a New Testament class, and in the class, they asked us to write an introduction to a book of the New Testament. And in doing so, I had been studying the book of John, 1 John, the book of 1 John for some time. And so I chose the book of 1 John to, uh, to write about. And so I began to do work and research and collect, uh, collect uh, some resources. And as I was collecting resources, I realized that my professor actually wrote a book on 1 John. And, uh, and it was held in the Harvard University Library. And so I found myself behind the eight ball. But the reason that I was studying that book was because there was a specific situation that I was trying to find direction on how to deal with it. And John actually dealt with that in, uh, in, his, in his epistle. He was known as the one that Jesus loved. He was known for his treatise. He said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth knoweth God and loveth God. And then he says, how can you love God who you have not seen and you don't love your brother who you have seen? And he writes over and over. And so John represents that fundamental, that fundamental characteristic of the New Testament church, that we love people even when they don't love us, even when they don't deserve it, even when they do things to try to make us not love them, and so John represents the love of the church. Peter represents the supernatural. And the Bible says in, in Acts 3 and 1, now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. You will find that if you want to have the supernatural and you really want to know how to love people, you have to be a man or a woman of prayer. You can never walk in the supernatural if you don't have a prayer life. And you're going to struggle to love people that hate you and do you wrong and love people who you have differences with if you are not a man or a woman of prayer. And so first, if we want to be the church, if we want to really walk in, and, and when we talk about apostolic demonstration, uh, that, that is, a, that is a, a common buzzword right now among among apostolics when we talk about demonstration. Demonstration talks about the work of the Spirit, the demonstration of the Spirit, signs, wonders, miracles, gifts of the Spirit. And so when we talk about ingredients for seeing God do the supernatural among us, that's what we're really trying to get to. And the first, the first thing that we have to notice is that Peter and John, supernatural and the love of God, went to the temple at the hour of prayer. We learn from that, that if you really want to walk in the supernatural and the power of God and you really want to be used by God, you have to have a consistent, disciplined prayer life. Amen. Praise God. They went, it was their custom to go to the temple at the hour of prayer. They had built their life around what, they, what we call spiritual disciplines. I know some people that, uh, that their best time to pray, they say the best time to pray is at night after everybody else goes to bed. I know people that they say their best time to pray is in the morning before everybody gets up. I know other people, they say my best time to pray is after my husband's gone to work and my kids have gone to school. Some say it's when I'm out working in the field or whatever the case may be. When they, when, but, but whatever the time, 
the most important thing, if you really want to get a relationship with God, is you've got to develop some kind of a consistent prayer life. If you want to have the supernatural and you want to be able to love the unlovable and walk in the love of God, you need to develop a consistent time and manner of prayer. Can you say praise the Lord? And so they went up about the hour of prayer. It was their custom to go. It was their daily schedule. They had built their life. They had built their schedule around their spiritual discipline. You have different schedules. You have things you have to do. You have jobs. You have all kinds of things that, that pull at your time. But one thing you have got to do if you really want to be used of God is you have to build into your schedule time to talk to God. Amen. Amen. You must have a consistent prayer life. The third, meet, the third member of this meeting at the gate of the temple comes to us in Acts 3 and verse 2, a certain lame man, a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Here we find the next ingredient for apostolic demonstration, and that is you find you have to have a need. There has to be a need. If you're going to see God do something, there's got to be something that needs God, right? Amen. May I tell you, you cannot be intimidated by needs. You can't be scared of somebody having a need. Needs are the raw materials of miracles. You can't have a healing without a sickness or a disease. You can't have a miracle without something that needs a divine intervention. The bottom line is that needs are the seeds of miracles. Amen. But you can't forget that needs don't motivate God. I, I, I understand that goes, against, that goes against some of our theology, but needs don't motivate God. I use this example often, but when you talk about the man at the pool of Bethesda, the Bible said there was a multitude of lame and sick and impotent folk, and they were all waiting for the troubling of the water, for in a certain season the angel of the Lord would come and trouble the water, and whoever got into the water first got their miracle. And so the multitude of people, needs everywhere, multitude gathered at the pool of Bethesda waiting for the water to be troubled so they could get in the water and get their miracle. Jesus walked up in what the Bible called a miracle, a multitude of people, and he walks up, he heals one man, turns around, walks out, and leaves all the rest of the needs. If he was need-motivated, he would have stayed there as long as there was a need. And, then would, and he wouldn't have left until everyone got their need met. But needs are not what motivates him. His mission is what motivates him. If it doesn't serve his mission, there's not necessarily a need for the miracle. He's not in the entertainment business. This isn't spiritual Hollywood where he does some kind of a magic trick to get people to tune in. It has to be related to the mission and the purpose. And so when we talk about needs, this man's need had a purpose beyond just this man. It was the healing of this man, which we talked about this in the last lesson on Acts. It was the healing of this man that got the attention of the city of Jerusalem, 
And because of this miracle, it allowed the apostles the opportunity to preach to a multitude. And because of this one miracle, 5,000 men were, were added and believed on Christ. It was a mission situation. So it's not the need as much as it is the mission. And so God will meet needs as related to his mission. Amen. I pray that God would heal people so that people would know that God's a healer. So this world that no longer believes in the supernatural can see that we still have a God that's able. Amen. It's not about, it's not about our entertainment so we can say, man, we had a time. It's about us being able to go to the world and testify to the world that we serve a God that's able and a God that can. It's missional. It's about mission. And, and I know you, you all have heard me. I've been preaching and teaching on Acts so much. I've been focused on it. I've been preaching and teaching about the mission of the church. Why am I doing that? Because if we will be about the mission of God, God's going to do great things. Amen. Because there's a world that needs God. And he's not going to do it just for our handful of people to be entertained on, on, on Sunday morning and Sunday night. But it's going to be to motivate us to go and tell the world about what he does and to show the world the power of God. And so you got to have a need. If you're going to see the demonstration of the Spirit, there's got to be a need. So the man at the pool of Bethesda had a need. It wasn't the need that motivated the miracle here in Acts 3. It was the mission of Christ. The last lesson brought that point to bear. The lame man at the gate was healed because there was a missional purpose to what God was doing. And so the multitude could have repentance and conversion. Look at Acts 3.19. Repent ye therefore. This was the message that Peter preached. When the multitude gathered together on Solomon's porch and they looked at the man that they had passed going in and out of the temple to pray all this time, the man lame. For all those years laid there, now they see him up leaping and praising and worshiping God. They, the multitude gathered at Solomon's porch, and they want to know what was happen, happening. And when they got down to it, here's what the apostle preached to them. Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. The purpose for the miracle was to preach the gospel to lost people. And so, chapter 4 tells us, Acts 4 and 4. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. A great revival because of a miracle. A great revival because God demonstrated his power and his ability. And so God sends great miracles for his mission, not for our entertainment. God used the miracle to get the attention of Jerusalem. And that miracle, coupled with the preaching of the word, brought 5,000 men to believe. So prayer is an ingredient for apostolic demonstration. Needs are ingredients for apostolic demonstration. You know, there's not one person, there's not one person in this entire world that's a healer. Not one. Doesn't matter how great a prophet they are, doesn't matter how, how, how talented they are, there's not one person in this world that's a healer. Jesus Christ is the healer. And so if somebody brings a need, you give them Jesus. Don't be intimidated by their disease. You're not the healer. It's not up to you to do it. 
It's your job to call on the name of Jesus. If somebody comes to you and they're having a terrible problem in their marriage, you're not the marriage healer. But you have Jesus, and he can heal the marriage, and so you take Jesus to him. If somebody's coming with an emotional issue, with, with, with some kind of a financial problem, whatever the case may be, we're not the Christ. Amen. That's what one of the apostles said one time. He said, I'm not the Christ. I'm not him. But I know him. And so none of us are healers. None of us are deliverers. None of us can do it, but we know who can. And so don't be intimidated by the need because just because the need's bigger than you are doesn't mean the need's bigger than he is. And so don't, don't be intimidated by the need. When the man said, when the man said, ask for alms, they weren't intimidated by the problem. They said, silver and gold have I none. I don't have the answer to your physical need, but such as I have, give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So let's, let's go into chapter 4. Let's go into chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And as they spake into the people, so what happens? In, they, they, they convert. They convert all these people. They're preaching to the people. And then it causes a stir. Acts 4, 4, 1 and 2. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. The Sadducees were a sect of Jews that did not believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the resurrection. So notice verse number two said that they were grieved, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. If people who don't believe the truth agree with everything we do, then we're not doing everything we're supposed to be doing. That's right. Let me tell you, I do not believe in being purposely offensive. If you know me at all, you know that. I know preachers who have made their calling card being rude and offensive to the congregation. And that's not what I want to be known for. But I also don't want to be guilty of leaving things out that need to be said just because somebody may not like it. The Sadducees were grieved. The word grieved there, the original Greek word means to be troubled. They were displeased, offended, pained, and I like this phrase, to be worked up. They were worked up. You know anybody ever got worked up about something? I know I've gotten worked up a time or two. They were worked up about it. They were offended. They were pained. They were troubled, displeased because the apostles preached the resurrection of Christ to the people. Ten days ago, on a Sunday night, I preached a message titled, Beware of the Philistines. And uh, on, on that particular night, we since then we've had... As of, as of a little bit earlier today, we've had 22,328 views of that message with over 6,300 through plays. That's a lot of people watching. Amen. And I, and I might mention, Brother Patton, thank you. He boosts all these on Facebook, and it just goes everywhere. And thank you for that. And if you want to be a part of that, one of the best ways you can help get the word out, you could be a part, and we can boost it more. Um, in that number, there's some people who don't believe what we believe. 
and, uh, and, and sometimes they let me hear about it. Um, they let me know that they don't believe what we believe. And, and you know what? It doesn't offend me. My job's to preach the word. My job's to preach the word, preach the truth. I can't make them like it. The truth is that people that don't believe the truth won't always like everything that's preached. And people, people, people who don't like worship will be offended by worship. People who don't like the demonstration of the Spirit will be offended by a move of the Holy Ghost. The, the Sadducees were grieved. They got worked up. They got offended because of what the apostles preached. The truth of the matter is we have to preach the Word of God. We should never try to be offensive. We should never try to be insulting. We should never try to, uh, to, to hurt people's feelings. But we also cannot cover up and hold back what the Bible tells us to preach and teach. Amen. Amen. And so we have to preach and teach the Word of God. They were grieved. They were worked up. They got worked up by what Peter and John were preaching. Notice, notice again, verse number 2 of Acts 4. Notice what they were worked up about. Being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They were grieved that they taught the people and that they preached the resurrection. Now, um, one of the things that I do quite often is I teach a homiletics class. I've taught it here at the church to, to our own preachers. I've taught it at distant, different uh, meetings around the, the, the world. And homiletics is the art and science of, of sermon and Bible study building. It's about how you prepare uh, a, a message for a congregation, preaching or teaching. And, and I always point out when I teach that lesson that, that they, the Bible said they taught the people and they preached the resurrection. Teaching is people-centered. Teaching is people-centered. Preaching is message-centered. They taught the people and they preached the resurrection. And there's several places in the New Testament where it talks about teaching the people. The job of the teacher is to understand what the congregation needs and teach the word. Right? Teach the people because the people need this or the people need that. Preaching is message-centered. God gives a message and you preach the message regardless of the people. You just preach the message because the message needs to be preached. Teaching is looking at the congregation, looking at somebody. If, if I teach a home Bible study, when I teach a, a home Bible study to somebody that doesn't believe, I don't jump into the book of Revelation and try to figure out what the ten horns represent. I don't jump in and try to figure out and, and, and try to, to debate what, uh, what the, the seven vials and the bowls and all that, the trumpets and all, and all. I, I try to go back and I, and I start in Genesis and I try to begin at, at the most basic and start with something because I'm trying to teach somebody. And there's no point in me sitting there talking about trying to reveal the, the secrets of if Melchizedek was a theophany or if he was Christ manifested and if it was the image of Melchizedek that appeared in the fiery furnace when Daniel and they saw one like as into the Son of God and is, is he. There, there's no point going into that with somebody at that point. You understand? Because teaching is people-centered. You find where they are, you find what they need, and you begin there and you go forward. You teach. The mess, they taught the people and they preached the resurrection. They preached the message of the resurrection because the message of the resurrection needs preached. Because everybody needs to know about the resurrection. 
The Sadducees were grieved because they taught the people and they preached. Let me just tell you that, that, uh, that, that people that don't have a spiritual mindset aren't going to like teaching and preaching. Amen. As apostolic Pentecostals, we love lively, wild, loud, vibrant services. We do. I hope we do. If we're not, I came to the wrong place because I thought I was coming to an apostolic church. This is most evident when we have powerful, passionate, and anointed preaching. There's this synergy that gets built between the crowd and the preacher. And this, it, it's, it's, a, it's, 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 a, it's a spiritual synergy that goes back and forth where the preacher gives and the people respond. And, and the preacher pulls the response out of the people and the people pull the preaching out of the preacher. And it's this, it's this interaction in the spirit that happens. And, and it builds excitement. Preaching is message-centered with a word from God. And you preach the word, expository or topical. Expository is taking a, po a, a, a passage of scripture and pulling the meaning out of that passage where topical is picking a subject and you might go from Genesis to Revelation and pull from all different places. Whatever the style, it, the message needs preached. Teaching, teaching is teaching the people. Preaching is a message that needs introduced. Teaching is planting seeds in people's hearts. Many do not like teaching because we like the emotion and the pull of the preaching. A lot of people find, I mean, count tonight and count Sunday night. They say you find out on Sunday morning how popular the church is. You find out on Sunday night how popular the preacher is, and you find out on Wednesday how popular God is. But a lot of people don't like teaching. They find it tedious, uninteresting. But if we're going to see apostolic demonstration, we have to give ourselves to teaching and preaching. The Sadducees and the priests got worked up over teaching and preaching. Acts 4 and 3, and they laid hands on them, not with prayer. This was not for prayer. They put them in hold until the next day, for it was now evening, eventide. It was getting late in the day. They didn't want to have to go through the trial of a, they didn't have to go through the trouble of, 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 of interrogating them and the trial and all that. So they just put them in jail overnight, and the next day they got them out. The verse 5, it came to pass on the mar that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest. Now, now notice, the critics will always get together with other critics. Won't they? All the kindred of the high priest. Everybody who thought like he thought. Everybody who felt like he felt. We're going to get these guys, we're going to put them out here, and we are going to get to the bottom of this, and when we're done with them, they're in trouble. They were gathered together, and when they had set them in the midst, they put them in the middle, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? All the big shots, get them together. And they have Peter and John on trial, and they try to intimidate them, put them in the middle, and what? tell us how you did this miracle. And then notice what verse 8 says. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, 
said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel. You cannot take on a spiritual attack in your flesh. When you are being attacked spiritually, you cannot fight that through your flesh. It wouldn't have done Peter and John any good to get all mad, throw up their fists, and throw down right there in the middle of all those. You can't win a spiritual battle with the flesh. Peter filled with the Holy Ghost. When you're in a spiritual battle, the best thing you can do is say, God, fill me with the Holy Ghost. Let me be full of the Holy Ghost. Let me be led by the Spirit. If there's one thing you pray for me, please pray that I can be led by the Holy Ghost and anointed by the Holy Ghost. Because you can't fight spiritual battles in fleshly ways. You have to have a spiritual move. And Peter being filled with the Holy Ghost. Listen to what he said in verse number nine. If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole? If we this day be examined, I, I love, I love what he said there. If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man. The word examined means to be judged or to be investigated, to be scrutinized, interrogated, to be accused. He basically says, you're mad because we did something good for this lame man? You really arrested us? You put us in jail overnight. You have us on trial because a lame man's walking, for real? I love, I love the boldness he's got here. He said, really, you're mad at us because we helped somebody? You know what, I've known people, and this is, it's a sad, it's a very sad condition, but I've known people who were on, on drugs that were strung out that came and God began to put their life together, and when they began to get their life cleaned up, their family got mad at them. For being Pentecostal you'd rather be an addict than a Pentecostal you'd rather be a convict than an apostolic he said and what he's saying is you're mad at us because we did a good deed for the lame guy you arrested us you got us here around you and all your buddies and you're mad at us because a lame man is walking that's why we're here that's why we're in trouble I was in. I was uh, testifying for someone in court one time, and we were there for a very serious matter, an accusation on on, on the behalf of somebody that uh, that uh, that that we were to testify about. And uh, I got on the stand, and there were I think four attorneys in the room. I think there were four attorneys, and the judge, and. Uh, and, and out of all those attorneys in the room, not one of them asked about the issue. Not one. But three of them interrogated me about what our church teaches on homosexuality. And they were, and, and one, of the, one of the attorneys got so mad because I wouldn't give in to their point. And they kept, and, and she kept driving the point, and kept driving the point. And I kept saying, the Bible says, the Bible says, the word says. And she got so mad until the judge finally said, look, I don't think you want to have a theological discussion with the preacher. <laughs> but they were so mad. Oh, goodness. 
so mad. The bottom line is that people are not going to like everything we preach and teach. But he said, you're really going to, you're really, you arrested us. You got us on trial because the lame man walks. It's the same attitude of dead religion that the Sadducees had that a lot of people in the world have today. They would rather their family be a meth addict than an apostolic. But he said, you really have us on trial? So then he answers their question. You want to know how we did it? Verse number 10, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. I love what he said. He said, you, can, you don't have to believe what I say. You don't have to believe my message. You don't have to believe I'm right. But here's the lame man, and he's not lame anymore. He's whole. He was, when you walked by him every day for all those years, he was lame. But he's standing by us whole. And you know how we did it? By the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, you did it, but God raised him from the dead. By him does this man stand here. Another ingredient for apostolic demonstration is the power of the name of Jesus. Praise God. I'm telling you tonight, there's power in the name of Jesus. Praise God. If you'll call on the name of Jesus, God will answer prayer. Amen. Some people pray about the sickness, but they never call on the name of Jesus. Most of you know if you, call, if you text me a need to pray for, I'm going to answer with, I'm praying in Jesus' name. Because it's the power of that name that does the healing and does the work. And he said it just two verses later, Acts 4 and 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The name of Jesus gives authority in the spirit. It allows access to the supernatural. When you call on the name of Jesus, all of his attributes become available through the power of his name. I'm telling you tonight that when an apostolic person calls on the name of Jesus, that person should expect God to move. Amen. Praise God. When somebody gives a need, don't just say, well, I'll pray about it. Tell them, I'll pray about it in Jesus' name. And then don't just say you'll pray about it, but actually pray about it in Jesus' name. I got such a bad memory. I got such a bad memory. I can be in the middle of something and forget what I'm talking about. I got a bad memory. So when I tell somebody I'm praying, as soon as I say it, I pray in my mind. Or, or out loud or however, I pray it so that I hopefully don't forget. Because there's power when somebody calls on the name of Jesus. I wish somebody would say his name right now. Do you know that when that name is mentioned that demons have to flee and sickness has to bow? Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess at the name of Jesus. If you're having trouble in your marriage, you walk through your house and call on the name of Jesus. 
you're having trouble with your kids, you walk in through their bedroom and you call on the name of Jesus. If you're having trouble with your finances, you get, I started to say a checkbook, but just get your debit card or whatever you do in your hand and call on the name of Jesus. When you're troubled in your mind, put your hand on your own head and say in the name of Jesus because there's power released in the name of Jesus. And you have authority to use the name because you've been baptized in the name. It was called over you. You have access to it. Praise God. Amen. I believe in the power of Jesus' name. Hallelujah. You want to know how this lame man is whole? It's through the name of Jesus Christ. And now look at verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. Now, now look. I love. I, one, one thing I love about the Bible is the Bible doesn't hide the weaknesses of its main characters. When you read, when you read the, the Gaelic Wars, Julius Caesar's own history, of his version of the wars that Rome fought while he was while he was the emperor, he's, I mean, he has no faults. He's perfect. Because if somebody had written a fault in, he'd have had him killed and had somebody rewrite it. You look in history and in, in the ancient works, they didn't, but, but here, I mean, I don't know if it made, I don't know if it made Peter and John mad or not. But when Luke wrote this, he said, they are unlearned and ignorant. I mean, thanks, Luke. I mean, I know you know it, but you didn't have to tell everybody for the next 2,000 years about it. But here we are, 2021, and we all know Peter and John, unlearned. And ignorant. Now, that, that doesn't mean stupid. Unlearned means they hadn't learned it. It didn't mean they weren't capable of it. And ignorant doesn't mean that they can't learn. It just means they haven't yet. But the whole world knows, hey, unlearned and ignorant men, that's what they are. But I love that they threw that in. Because if they didn't throw that in, we would think that you had to be special to use the name of Jesus. And you have to be special to be used by God. You don't have to have any special talent to be used by God. You don't have to have any special ability. To be, all you got to do is be willing to use the name of Jesus, have a prayer life, and trust God. And God can use anybody and everybody. You know how I know? Do you know how I know that God can use anybody? Because he used unlearned and ignorant Peter and John. I love that they put that in there. Because when I read it, it gave me hope. <laughs> thank God that's there. Not one of us have an excuse not to be used of God. You tell me all the reasons why you can't, and I'm going to say, well, Peter and John were unlearned and ignorant, and one of them walked on water. Don't you love that that's in there? I mean, if unlearned and ignorant can do that, imagine what you can do. 
Praise God. We find another ingredient required for an apostolic demonstration, and that's boldness. Don't worry about what you can't do. Just be bold in what you can. What if the lame man would have said, alms, and they said, well, we don't have any money, so sorry, you just got to lay here. But, but I need help. Well, you know what? I'm unlearned, and he's ignorant. And so we can't help you. It, wait till the smart people come by. Wait till the people with the degrees come by, and maybe they can help you, but I can't help you. Sorry. They didn't worry about what they couldn't do and what they didn't have. They, did, they boldly did what they could do, and what they could do is call on the name of Jesus. The world doesn't want your excuses. They don't want your excuses on why you can't do it. Do what you can do. Call on the name of Jesus, and let's watch what God will do. Boldness, when they saw their boldness. One of the most influential sermons of my youth was preached at a camp meeting I was at. I was somewhere between 12 and 14 in that age, probably 12, 13. And Brother Spencer McCool Sr. preached a message. And, and it might be the longest sermon title I've ever heard, but it was, if you want to be big and you want to be bad, you've got to be bold. If you want to be big and you want to be bad, You've got to be bold. Let me tell you, we have power in the name of Jesus, and we don't need to back up from it. We have authority in the name of Jesus, but we just got to use it. This church must emerge from this house of God tonight and boldly go into our world. Pray bold prayers, dream bold dreams, and do bold things. Well, my pastor will pray for you. Look, I'll pray for him, but you've got the name of Jesus, and you need to be bold to use the name of Jesus when you pray. Can you say amen? amen? Verse 13 holds another key, the same verse. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. We can't give all our time to our hobbies and our entertainment and our jobs and our everything else and then want to be used of God. We must spend time in the presence of God. Time spent in his presence will result in the moving of his hand. They had spent time with Jesus. Worship wasn't foreign to them. Prayer was not foreign to them. He was not an inconvenience. Jesus wasn't an inconvenience to their schedule. He wasn't a bother to them. Keys to apostolic demonstration. Prayer. You got to have needs to see God work. Teaching and preaching. The name of Jesus. Boldness and time spent in his presence. When you put those ingredients together, God begins to do things that man can't do. Closing with verses 14 through 16. And beholding, this, the, the, now this is the group. They looked at Peter and John and perceived they were unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And then they, so, so if, you, if you can get it in your mind, you got Peter and John, and they, the Bible said they, 
they, they, they took not, they looked at them, right? What's verse 13 say? Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they look at Peter and John and they realize unlearned, ignorant men. They're looking at them and they're like, those dudes aren't, they don't know that much. But then verse 14 says, and they behold the man which was healed standing with them. They could say nothing against it. You can't argue with the results. You, the Sadducees can say there's no resurrection, but they can't say that man's not healed. The high priest can say you shouldn't be preaching that, but they can't argue with the fact that the lame man is not lame anymore. They could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves. They, they, they looked at the unlearned and ignorant Men, and then they looked at the healed and they said, get out of here. They, 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 they kicked him out of the count. Get out. Go. Just get out of here. And then they conferred among themselves, what are we going to do about this, fellas? Here's what they said. What shall we do to these men? For indeed, a notable miracle has been done by them as manifest to all that dwell in Jerusalem. Everybody, everybody's seen this guy. Everybody knows what's happened. And the worst part is we can't say it didn't happen. We can't deny it because they see him walking. They saw him leaping up and praising God. And we can't deny what God has done. May I tell you tonight that if we really want to see God work in this world, we need to be men and women of prayer. We need to not be intimidated when people bring needs to us. We need to give ourselves to teaching and preaching. We need to be willing to call on the name of Jesus boldly. And we spend time in his presence. And when we do that, people will not be able to deny what God has done. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word tonight. God, every single person that's in this room has the ability to be used by you. Every young person in our church, every elder in our church, everyone in our church, men, women, young people, can be used by you if we'll incorporate these ingredients in our lives. God, there's not one of us that don't have the ability to call on your name. And so God, help us to go boldly into our world, preaching and teaching and talking and telling and calling on the name of Jesus. And God, I pray that when your people call your name, that you answer with a demonstration of your spirit and with your mighty power. God, I ask you to do it in the name of Jesus. I pray you bless your people, bless this congregation. God bless everyone that's here tonight and everyone that's watching online. I pray let the seed of your word find good ground in their life. Bless their families, their marriages, their children, their home, their finances, their mind, body, and spirit. Lord, let their faith grow and help them to exercise it through calling on your name. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. You can be dismissed in Jesus' name.